our study of the prophecies, I'm going to again uh, mention, much like Mike did this morning, this particular study of, of uh, the prophecy of no bones would be broken probably would not be a particular topic that I would have uh, just gone and dove off into, but I'm thankful for the opportunity, and certainly I've learned a lot of things going through this and hope that uh, we'll find some of the, the uh, thoughts that I believe uh, God expected us to learn through this prophecy. So as we continue in our study of the series of, uh, of this, I want to begin, have us begin in Exodus. And I'm going to make sure I've got this turned on. <clears throat> so here we are, in, uh, I'm going to begin in Exodus 12. We're at the beginning of the Exodus where the children of Israel are being led out of the land of Egypt. And we read here in verse 43, and I've got an error message or something back there on that one, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to turn around because that is covering that passage uh, here. So it says, And the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. You see, he's, we're reading here where God is speaking with Moses and Aaron, and He is instructing them and giving them the ordinances of the Passover. The regulations, the rules. How is this supposed to be done? What will be an acceptable sacrifice? And we know the story. We continue in verse 44, and it says, But every man's servant that is bought for money, when thou circumcise him, thou shalt eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. Thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. And that's going to be part of the basis of uh, some of our study this morning. See, when God gave Moses and Aaron the rules for the Passover, I'm guessing that some of these rules might just not have made sense to the children of Israel. For example, this specific command. The command not to break any bones of the animal or the lamb that was sacrificed and eaten by each household. So we might ask, why not break any bone? What was so important about that? Well, we might say, I just don't know. I don't know what was so important. I'm pretty sure the Israelites didn't know at the time. But one thing I do know is... They did what they were asked. It says thus in, in verse 50, it says, Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. You see, God said it and they obeyed. That which was delivered from God to Moses and Aaron. And you see, Moses and Aaron had learned to trust in God. So when he gave them a command, it might not have made sense to them, but they went ahead and did it. They didn't ask questions. They did just as, they were, just as God had asked. One of the examples we can learn from this is, how simple things can be when we just follow God's commands. It probably didn't make sense to them at the time, and there's times that we may, things may not make sense to us, uh, but, but the lesson here is do as God has, uh, has provided us instruction. We follow on in Numbers 9. It says, They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break a bone of it, according to all of the statue, the Passover, that they observe it. Again, we see God... Uh, providing this instruction in more detail about the offerings and about the Passover. He specifically told the people to ensure that the sacrifice was not left outside overnight or until the morning. At the bones of the sacrifice, the animals should not be broken. So why would God again require this? Anybody here a hunter? <laughs> I like to hunt. Um, if you've ever hunted... 
I can tell you that when you're preparing an animal or you're dressing that animal, it's pretty hard not to want to break bones. <laughs> it's pretty hard if you're looking to harvest all the meat of that animal. I do a lot of hunting from dove to quail, duck, geese, you don't, deer, hog, you name it, especially the smaller animals. It's hard not to bake a bone if you're trying to harvest the meat off of that. In fact, there's a tendency, there's a desire to want to break that bone. And it can be a messy job, but you know what the instructions were? The instructions were don't break a bone. Again, we don't necessarily know why at this point. But let's look at some more passages in Psalms 34. And this was the actual verse that was uh, given that we'll find here in Psalms 34. I'm going to begin back up in, uh, oh, in verse 8. Here we find David as he is running away from Saul who was trying to kill him. And he was seeking shelter with the king of Gath, Abimelech. And he, his behavior was beginning to change and he was afraid and he was trying to find trust in God again. And I'm going to just touch on various things. Here's David crying out to the Lord. Again, he's, he's, he's got a chase going on. And he says, O taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, yet his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Skipping down, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto the cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. And then we skip down and we read, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. And then he says, He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Now that seems to initially be a pretty odd statement in David in all of his cry now. So we find here in Psalms 34 in verse 20. He keepeth all his bones. But the same rule that we, find being, that we found back in Exodus 12 we see it echoed prophetically here in Psalms 34, 20. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Now, interesting enough, we know that this was written about a thousand years before Christ. The item we saw back in Exodus, probably 1,500 years or so before, uh, before Christ. Moving to down in Isaiah 53, we read, But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Now here we're finding, now we're getting closer. We're only about 700 years out before Christ. But again, we see this statement that Jesus led as a sacrificial lamb or a lamb to the slaughter. Here we see the introduction symbolically of the nature of Jesus as the Lamb. So we begin to start tying some of this together. We see this command that this Passover Lamb, not having its bones broken, begins to carry some significance. Why would we say that? John 29, uh, let's see, that's I guess John 1 and 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh the man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So we see again that, that here's John the Baptist saying, Look, this is the one. This Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that was crucified. Not one of his bones were broken. You see, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. A reference to the Passover. We see it back in, uh, in John 1, in verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father. 
We read down through and we jump to 15. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke. He said, This is the one I've been telling you about. He that cometh after me. So we're beginning to see the parallels there in, in, in John speaking of this is the one that was referred to back in that law of Moses. And we know that Jesus Christ is the Word of God and that He was made flesh. So therefore, if we take that, if the bones of Jesus Christ were broken, then what would that mean? If we just read that the Word, Jesus was the Word of flesh, or Word of uh, uh, the Word, and He was in flesh, if He is broken, then that means that the Scriptures can be broken. Well, we know and we believe that not to be true. We believe that the Word of God is an inherent Word of God and it's not to be broken. You see, this, is, this goes back and we see this because he, God had already sent His Word, that what we saw back in Psalms 34, in verse 20, some thousand years before, when Jesus Christ came in the flesh, declaring that His bones would not be broken. I want to continue in John 19 as we pick up with the uh, crucifixion that Michael touched on a little bit this morning. What we know here, and I'm going to, we see that Jesus is, is about to be crucified, and I won't read all down through John 19, but we see that he's been tried, he's been beaten, mocked, his garments have been torn, that crown of thorns placed on his head, Nails driven into his hands and his feet, and he has been hung on a cross to die. And I want to pick up in verse 25. Here we see Jesus as he's hanging on the cross, and his mother, Mary, stands at the foot of the cross. And he cries out to her, Woman, behold thy son. And the disciples say, Hey, behold thy mother. You know, we're seeing a closing coming to the end of Christ's life. And as Michael talked about this morning, one of the last statements he made after all things have been accomplished, the scripture might be fulfilled, he saith, I thirst. We follow on down through, and Mike spent a lot of time talking about the vinegar and, and, and the offering of the vinegar on the, on the hyssop, and it put into his mouth. And we read on in verse 30 when we see that Jesus had therefore, had, had therefore uh, received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And I want to pick up here in verse 31. So here Jesus has just given up the ghost. He has bowed his head after he has proclaimed, it is finished. And what do we read here? Picking up in verse 31, The Jews therefore, because it was the day of preparation, that the bodies would not remain upon the cross of the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day was a high day. But they besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, and that they might be taken away. And then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first man and the other who was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith came there out blood and water. There's several things we can find here back in verse 31. One of the things we see is the soldiers came to him. And it says on that day, it was, a, it was the Sabbath day, so they had made preparations for the Sabbath, and, and they had gone to Pilate and said, hey, can't we just go break the legs? We're ready to be done. No need to sit here and watch these people suffer on the, cross, on, the, on the cross. We'll just break their legs. That will expedite their death, and then we can get out of here and then go take their bodies that they might be taken away, and we get on about the Sabbath. They were ready to go home, I believe the soldiers were. So... 
we see this about to happen, but you know, and so you have to think, this was a normal, probably a normal routine. The soldiers, the crucifixion was a pretty normal thing. When they approached, this was probably a fairly normal thing they did. Hey, no need to watch these people suffer for hours and hours. We'll just go break their legs and, uh, and go on about our day. But when they came to Jesus and they began and, and they approached him, they saw that he had already, had already died. And so there was no need to break his legs. And so again, we begin to see some of the fulfilling of this prophecy. As we study several of these prophecies, uh, the series that we're in, there's going to be times we may ask, why did God give us these statements? Why did God give us these thoughts, these prophecies uh, of certain things that would happen? What was the purpose of that? And then some hundreds or thousands of years later, these things that have been told and prophesied, they would occur. Why would He go about doing that? <clears throat> Well, as John testifies, these things happened, and Mike again touched on it this morning. These things happened for a reason. Verse 36, John says here in verse 36, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, a bone of him should not be broken. That's the reason why God gave us these things. When we ask, why did he give us all these prophecies right here, and again, Mike touched on it, so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. down to the finest of detail. And we see back in verse 37, even about the piercing of his side, uh, we read yet again, we can see yet again another prophecy given there. You see, one thing as Christians we know, when God speaks, we can trust everything that he says. It's going to come true. It will be his promise. We can have faith that if he says something's going to occur, it's going to occur. And this is the basis of the entire Bible, faith in God's promises, the Word of God. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. God said what He meant, meant what He said. But all throughout time, even today, history has proven some people just don't want to believe, even though they've been given, undeni been given undeniable proof that of so many things that God has promised that have come true. And as we're studying these prophecies, that they all came to happen just as they had been written. So again, why was it so important that no bones were to be broken in Christ's body? Why did God command this a thousand years before Christ's crucifixion? Well, let me ask you, <clears throat> how many of you have had a broken bone? <laughs> I have. I'm guessing several in this room may have broken a small bone. Maybe you're broken uh, several bones. And I can tell you, it hurts. I uh, know Jordan's broken <laughs> A lot of bones. My knees, Jordan, I don't know how many times I saw that young girl in a cast. <laughs> but you know, when we break a bone, it's because we suffered some forceful, painful damage to the framework of our body. Back in college, I was playing intramural, in the intramural football league at the University of Arkansas, and I was playing quarterback uh, for a good bit of the season. I dropped back for a pass, and to avoid the rush, I sidestepped. <laughs> And in that wet grass, I slipped and had the ball in one hand, and I went down, and I put my thumb all the way back to my wrist, and I broke these set of bones in here. It hurt. Not much I could do with it, so we just kept on playing, and I figured it'll hurt in the morning. <laughs> Takes a while for a break to, I think, set in. And thank goodness, you know, that's the only bone that I've ever severely broken, but I, I, I had damaged 
uh, a, this set of bones that still often affects me today. But when we think about the bones in our bodies, what are they there for? Well, they're the infrastructure of our body. So in order to understand this, we just have to think, well, let's just consider what our bones really are there for. You see, bones are a necessary part of our body. They allow us to do the things that we do. When my arm was in a cast, because of all this, I couldn't do much with my left hand. But they're the structures that compose the skeletal frame of our body, from the smallest bones all the way to our vertebra. They're the foundation of the physical parts of our body, certainly our spine, the main support, the sustaining factor that allows us to function, the strength that provides for the strength in the physical being, and it determines our posture and our position. You could say it's the innermost essence of our body is our bone structure. You know, as an architect, I often can find similarities to teachings in the scriptures to that of buildings. We all understand about various things about buildings. We understand all buildings have foundations. That includes the substructure, the part below grade. The part above the building we think of as the superstructure. That's the parts above the ground that we get to see. And you have a skeletal frame. And we refer to that as the infrastructure, the envelope. You know, as architects, sometimes we're asked to analyze old buildings. And maybe for renovation or adaptive reuse. And one of the things, the first things we want to look at is the structural components of that building. You know, the building may be old and tired, but you know what it'll say, we'll often say, but it has really good bones. It really, the structure is good. We can work with this whole building. We can, we can deal with the cosmetics. The structure is what provides for the strength, the stability of that building. And the same is with our body. If our structure is good, and our bones are good, well, we have a much better chance to look and feel good and feel better in, uh, about being in shape. But just look how our bodies can grow old and weak, and they can weaken and be damaged, so too a building can be damaged. But you know, when a building is strong and it has the character of, of strong concrete and steel, it can withstand violent things if it's designed properly. Storms, tornadoes, earthquakes, wind, fire, water, but if the structure is damaged, it can re often result in catastrophic failure. And we saw evidence of that this past week with the collapse of a bridge. The structure failed. And it resulted in many deaths. But you know, we can build buildings that no matter what external or internal forces are put on it, the building stands. Why? Because the bones, the building structure is strong. So I ask you, when you think about that, ask you, do you think when God is talking about the bones of the body not being broken, whether in the animal that was being used in the Passover or the body of Christ, is He really wanting us to be concerned about our not having our bones broken in our body? If we have broken bones or if we've had broken bones, would that make us not righteous in the eyes of God? So is he talking about our physical righteousness, making, our, making us guard our bodily structure, guard and protect our bones, our physical body structure? Or do you think he's concerned with our spiritual structure and guarding it? See, I believe that's, that's a lot of the reference here. He's talking about our physical structure. Well, what do you mean our physical structure? Well, what is often in the Scripture referred to as the body of Christ 
guess what? That's you. That's me. We're the body of Christ. You see, we as members of the body of Christ, we provide for the structure of the church internally. And no matter what external, internal forces come our way, we need to be able to withstand the most violent forces that can be placed upon us. We need to be able to protect ourselves not just from physical harm, although that's okay. We need to be able to protect ourselves from spiritual harm. He doesn't want our members to be broken. And as Christians, God has promised that He will protect us and guard us if we are faithful to Him. I want to go back to Psalms 34 and 20. It says, He keepeth all His bones, not one of them is broken. What do you think that term keepeth means? It means to watch over, to guard, to protect. He watches over us. He guards us. He protects us. Guards the person that is righteous. Remember the analogy of the building. If the structure of the church is compromised or fails, then the church can fail. You know, our flesh can be afflicted, but not our bones. You see, the promise to those who are righteous can be likened to the perfect righteous one of Jesus who had no bones broken if we stay, if we stay steadfast. We can endure physical pain, but we need to be preserved intact. And we can preserve our framework, the body of Christ, kept whole by the power of our faith in God unto salvation. So I believe it was not just his bones. I believe his, his bones were not physically, but just spiritually symbolic and connected to what he did on the cross. Look at it this way. If your bones are broken, you're going to feel some pain and you may not be able to function properly as you want to. In fact, if your spine's broken, you might not be able to stand. Might collapse. Now think about what happened to the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was a sacrificial offering for the sins of the whole world, and thus it was important that his bones not be broken. Jesus wasn't an animal, he was God's word in human flesh. So it means a whole lot more than just ensuring that the bones of this sacrificial lamb were not broken. Because Jesus is the perfect and whole person. You know, we know Jesus was beaten with many stripes. He was nailed, he was pierced, he was crucified, and he died. His bones may have even been exposed, but they weren't broken. We read back in John 19, when the soldiers came to him, they came with an intent to break his legs. But it says these things were done that the scripture should be filled. A bone of him shall not be broken. Why? Why would God want us to know this? I believe he wants us to know that this is important. Whether it was 3,000, 3,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, or today, this symbolism, I think, can have tremendous significance for us. Because God went to great lengths to prophesy about the bones of his body. We were told that Jesus would receive stripes, but none of his bones would be broken. And that's what we see inspired uh, here by David, uh, through David, that not his, his bones would not be broken. So again, I ask, why is it so important that his bones not be broken? The answer lies, I believe, in the integrity of the Lord's body. And who are we? Ephesians 5.30 says, For we are the members of His body. 
For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. We know this, this verse. The scriptures reveal that we, the saints of God, the very people of God who we are, we're also represented by the bones of Jesus Christ. We're members of his body and of his flesh. We see in Genesis 2, I'm sorry, um, where as a future wife of Christ, we, the church of God, are of his bones, just as Eve was the bone of Adam's bones. In 1 Peter 2, 24, he, he bore our sins in his body on the trees so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes we, we, we are healed. But no bone, bone broken. Oops, I'm sorry, I'm looking ahead. We read on in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Eat, this is my body. You know, the question's been asked before, I've heard asked, well, wasn't Jesus' body broken to make payment for our healing? Well, we see that the, the scriptures reveal that by stripes we are healed, but not by broken bones. And here in 1 Corinthians 11, we see that Jesus broke the unleavened bread that represents his body. And the Greek word actually means to just break bread, as in the, we saw like even in the miracle of loaves and fishes. It means to have a meal as the saints did, the breaking of bread from house to house that we read of in Acts. So Christ's church is also intended to remain unbroken and not be shattered into splinters. It's not God's will that the body of Christ, the church, you and I be broken apart. Instead, it's His will that the true body of believers be, be unified in love and in spirit, being of one mind with each other. I want to close with two final, two final thoughts. You know, the Scriptures cannot be broken. Jesus Christ is the Word of God. And breaking His bones means breaking the backbone of foundation of the Word or breaking the strength of the Word, which we know is simply impossible. And the next thought is the church of God cannot be broken. It's to be prepared in unity and oneness to be the bride who will have made herself ready for the marriage of the Lamb. The marriage of the Supper of the Lamb that we read in Revelations 19.7. I know this has been a, uh, a quick study on just the bones. I'm sure there's a lot more detail that could be uh, brought out about this. I was intrigued by studying through this and some of the symbology that I believe we can learn. I hope you've enjoyed um, uh, some of the study and find it encouraging. I uh, want to close. I'd be happy to turn the services over to other brethren.